The kids are heading out. I need to, I've been waiting to share this uh, with you. You know, you, sometimes you may wonder, how do we decide, how do I decide where we're going to, where we're going to go next in the Bible, what I'm going to preach on. And it comes out of a place of prayer. It comes out of a place of really sensing where God's leading us. But that inspiration, that Kairos moment can come from different places, and I just want to acknowledge that we're in the Psalms because as I was sort of praying about and ruminating about where God was leading us after the Gospel of Mark, I was on a walk as I often am with my daughter Emma, and my daughter said, why don't you preach on the Psalms? And she proceeded to just go on about how she felt about the Psalms and how the Psalms spoke to us, and and, and, she, and she also said, which I have to say is, you probably won't do it because I said it. So you, you know, you, and I want you to know, I heard you and I heard God speaking through you. And so we're in the Psalms because God spoke through my daughter, Emma, who is working in the soundboard today. So I just want to acknowledge her. So if you love where we are, she gets all the glory along with God. If you don't, then she gets all the blame along. <laughs> Um, we've been two weeks now. This is our third week in the Psalms. And the Psalms, as I've tried to uh, express it to you, orient you, are the original classics, represented in these raw, eloquent uh, lyrics, these, this poetry, is the, are the prayers and the songs that have given voice to the people of God for generations upon generations. And, and I think once you immerse yourself in this book, you quickly realize that what's attractive about the Psalms is they tell it like it is. These oldies but goodies cut through the shallowness of an unexamined life. The Psalms speak. Sometimes they whisper. Sometimes they shout. And they get beneath the layers of, of denial, of trivialization, of self-deception we humans tend to hide behind. Uh, the Psalms swing high and they swing low. They express the full gamut of human emotions. And as we've seen in just a brief two weeks, some Psalms, in some Psalms, life is good. Life is as it should be. And these are the psalms, the songs of orientation, like Psalm 8 that we looked at two weeks ago, where the one singing, David, is grateful for the basic things of life that we often take for granted. Grateful, this is an opportunity to reflect and pray gratefully about the stability and predictability of life with God. But sometimes there are other psalms, like we looked at last week, like Psalm 22, that are prayers that are grasped and groaned because life is not so good. These are the songs, the psalms of disorientation, where we encounter the chaos and the brokenness of this life, and God seems silent and absent. Songs like these give us permission to grieve, and they give us permission to question God with bold and unapologetic laments so that we can hold on and not lose hope. This morning, we're going to look at a whole other type of song whole other group of psalms that sing a new song at the other end of disorientation. On the other side of the confusion and the suffering, if we allow ourselves to draw closer to God, our disorientation can give way to our reorientation. Reorientation is about a shift in our perspective, discovering a new way of perceiving things that is quite unlike the point of view we had before. Reorientation is about widening our vantage point, but it's also about the deepening of our senses. With reorientation, our prayers and our praises, our life with God becomes different, full of color, creativity and clarity unequaled by what has come before. These are the seasons of reorientation, and we're going to be looking at them through the lens of the timeless words of Psalm 23. Perhaps the greatest song of all time, Psalm 23 has been a powerful inspiration for artistic expression, theological imagination, and personal reflection. And as Captain comes forward, he's going to lead us 
in reading this short but powerful song, without a doubt, the most well-known, the best-known, and most loved of all the psalms. Hello. Uh, as you heard today, we'll be reading Psalm 23, uh, which you will be able to find in your pew Bibles on, well, I'm not quite sure exactly what page. 382. Thank you. All right, here goes. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they will comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thanks be to God. Amen. The version of the Psalms that you see in your Bible is a little bit different of a translation. The one that was on the screen, as Captain read, is probably the one that we're more familiar with, and that's why we had it on the slides as he was reading. Many of us know this Psalm so well that you can keep it in your mind, but I would encourage you to keep your Bible open as we go through this very, very powerful song. If you're still reflecting on the words that we just shared together, if you have your Bible open, at, at first, this song, if you look at it, seems like one of orientation. David makes proclamations about life the way it is, as he talks of the Lord as his shepherd, as he speaks of being led to green pastures beside still waters and on the path of righteousness. But as we listen, as we read on a little further in this short song, we realize that this psalm, David's psalm, has some weight to it. It becomes very clear if we listen and read carefully that David has done some living, faced some giants. And as a result, he's gained some perspective since his days as a boy tending sheep. Signs of the experience of disorientation are all over his lyrics as David sings of walking through valleys, living in shadows, being surrounded by enemies, and even facing death. And yet, David isn't lamenting his predicament. He isn't crying out. David is calm and collected. He's peaceful and yet bold as he sings. David isn't just holding on to hope. He isn't just looking to the horizon optimistically. David has been reoriented. The way he talks, the way he walks, it's as if David is able to see, it's as if he's living on a whole different plane of reality than life as we know it. I mean, all hell seems to be breaking loose around him, and yet David is not afraid. He feels safe, he tells us, perceiving his protection like a rod that strikes down wild and encroaching animals. He feels secure, visualizing his comfort through the image of a staff that guides his path and keeps everything under control. Even though he's surrounded by forces aligned against him, David, he tell, tells us he's confident. He sees himself standing before a table for one, a seat of honor prepared just for him. He understands himself to be an honored guest as he talks of his head being fragrantly anointed with oil. 
And David asserts that he has been more than adequately provided for as he sings of drinking from a cup that is not just full, but overflows. If you're like me, you're drawn to a psalm like this one. It reflects the kind of outlook on life deep down we desire, doesn't it? We want to sing songs like this one. We want to experience this kind of life now, not just in the hereafter. We long to experience a broader, a deeper, a more sustainable perspective in terms of this world we live in, this God to whom we look and pray. So how do we get there? How does one's perspective shift like this? This brings us to the first insight about reorientation. The first insight about seasons of reorientation is this. They come by way of experience. They come by way of experience. As I alluded to before, this is a psalm of David. But lyrics like these, an outlook like this, could not have been written by the young David, the boy shepherd tending the flock. A vantage point like this was given voice by the David who endured some challenging times. These are the words of, the da of David on the other side of standing tall and slaying the giant named Goliath. This is the song of the man who would be king. The David who faced an even greater struggle to claim the throne for which God had anointed him. This is the wisdom of the great ruler of Israel who nearly threw it all away when his lust for another woman caused him to commit adultery and murder. This is the prayer of the father who lost a son and watched helplessly as another of his sons defied him and nearly stole his kingdom in a massive rebellion. It's only after going through all these things that David could write a song like this. Beloved, before David ever said these words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he cried out in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We do not easily get to the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Seasons of reorientation are always preceded by seasons of disorientation. Now this is not to say we ought to look for trouble, to embrace chaos, or go looking for disorienting things to happen in our lives. It is to say, it is to say that we need to recognize and accept that in a broken world, a creation on the mend, Chaos and evil can still wreak havoc and cause discomfort, pain, and suffering. It is to recognize and accept that sometimes trouble finds us whether we're looking for it or not, whether we deserve it or not. Let's be honest, we don't like to hear this. We don't like to hear this, let alone embrace it. We don't like to talk about any kind of fall from innocence. We want the experience of growing up, of growing older and wiser, to be smooth, uncomplicated, and fun. But beloved, the movement from Psalm 22 to Psalm 23 is difficult. Many of us never make it up that hill to see that view. We remain stuck in the valley, 
lost in the shadows as we create, as we cling to, as we even pass on all kinds of coping mechanisms, all kinds of false theologies, all kinds of superstitions to convince ourselves if we just follow certain rules, if we just avoid particular obstacles, if we just keep a positive attitude, if we just eat right, live well, pay attention to our horoscope, mind our own business and do right by others, no trouble, nothing really bad, no harm will come to us. And yet as we listen in, and we are, we're listening in on David's personal conversation with God, David makes no glib assertions that God will prevent threats from coming, that, David will remove, that God will have, remove all of David's enemies, or that God will keep him out of the shadows. No, David acknowledges for every hill there is also a valley, and that while goodness and mercy will follow him, death and evil also surround him. Beloved, reorientation comes by way of experience, not by burying our head in the sand, not by living in denial about this journey of faith we're on. The discipleship of Psalm 23 is born on the other side of the experience of Psalm 22. And while that means we don't have to be reckless, again, we don't have to throw ourselves into dangerous situations or look for conflict, what it does mean is we have to be willing to try and fail. We must expect to encounter loss as well as gain. We ought to recognize we will experience defeat as well as success. We should realize we cannot always avoid threats or danger. But if we walk forward, following and trusting our shepherd, we can know we will come out the other side. This is a short little psalm, a short song, but the key verse of this whole thing, I think, is the first verse, the first one. The Lord is my shepherd. The metaphor of a shepherd was a common one for kings and leaders in the ancient world, and it was early adopted by the Israelites into their usage. God commanded the rulers and the prophets of Israel to be good shepherds of Israel. But here, David, a shepherd himself, one who understood himself as king to be the shepherd of Israel takes the illustration a step further and declares the Lord himself is the shepherd of Israel. And we need to understand that this metaphor is far more than a convenient example randomly drawn from everyday life or some kind of common historical illusion. To say that the Lord is the shepherd of Israel is to acknowledge God is the one who guided the creation the deliverance, the establishment of the people of Israel through the oppression of slavery, the occupation of the land, and even providing physical sustenance for them when they could not provide it for themselves. But if you noticed, if your Bibles are open, David goes even further than this. He goes even further when he says he calls God my shepherd. David knows the history of his people. He has known God as the shepherd of Israel. But now, David has experienced firsthand the same shepherd in his own life. He views God no longer in an abstract way, not as some theological concept. He doesn't even refer to God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No, David, his spirit being troubled, his life being threatened, his enemies having mocked him, having walked through the shadows of the valley and yet not being overwhelmed, recognizes that he has personally encountered the goodness and mercy of the God of his ancestors. And so this is no longer just the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is my shepherd. David affirms this truth about God not as a statement of faith, but as a personal confession of trust 
that underlines everything else he writes here, everything else he sings. The Lord is my shepherd. Trust. Trust, whether we're speaking of the ancient trust of David or whether we're talking about the contemporary trust of a Christian today, trust is evoked by a promise. And the promise to David from God was simple. I am with you. And the only possible response to a promise is to believe it or not believe it. To trust it or not to trust it. To live as if the promise is real and trustworthy or to live as if the promise isn't real and trustworthy. And the thing is, God doesn't ask us to embrace his promises blindly. He doesn't just seek our trust. Our God proves himself trustworthy and then asks us to trust him. The Lord entered into history and rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. On the basis of his promise to intervene and the fulfillment of that promise, God asks the people to trust him, to follow him through the wilderness. The Lord anointed David, the youngest of his kin, to be king of Israel. He delivered him from the jealousy of Saul, the vengeance sought by his enemies. And on the basis of the promise that he made to David to make him king and its fulfillment, he seeks for David to trust him. And follow him. And David does. He calls God my shepherd. If you have it open there in the Bible, you remember it. David declares later on, he will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. This brings us to the second insight about seasons of reorientation. Reorientation is moving from believing in the song to believing in the shepherd. We all believe in the song of Psalm 23, but do we believe in the shepherd of Psalm 23? I mean, some of us grow up our whole lives hearing and learning about this God. But as we've experienced life, the hills and valleys, has this God become our God? Have we paid attention? Do we recognize when God has shown up in our lives? Do we remember when God has fulfilled his promises to us and have those moments when God has fulfilled his promises, when God has shown up, have they transformed what were once statements of faith, what were once songs sung by, remote, by rote, what were once prayers lifted up because we were raised that way? Does it transform these statements of faith, these songs sung by rote, these prayers lifted up because we were, that's how we were raised into personal living confessions of trust? Beloved, isn't it more often the case? Don't we often see the pews filled, Bibles opened, our attention given to God when we have a need, when those seasons of disorientation come? And isn't it more often the case when those seasons of disorientation are over, once it's all done, once we get through the shadows in the valley, isn't it more often the case we show up at church less and less? Our Bibles start to collect dust. Our attention shifts away from God to other more pressing things. Why is that? Psalm 23 has is, is, is got this power. It captures the imagination, I find, whether one is religious or not. I mean, think about it. Psalm 23, on the one hand, is this song that's learned and memorized as a child, even among those who have rarely gone to church. As a child, they've learned and memorized Psalm 23. Here we have a, a prayer that is called upon and looked to even among the non-religious when one is nearing the end of their life. If I encounter a family I don't know, an individual in the hospital or in a memorial service, if nothing else, Psalm 23 will be what's requested. It's the most requested scripture for funerals. 
But beloved, the life that's characterized by Psalm 23 and Psalms of reorientation like it is a life that is built on faith and trust in God. We can sing and pray for this kind of life the psalm paints, but it only comes as we believe in the shepherd, following and trusting this God, not just as a child beginning to experience this world and not just as a dying person preparing to lead it, to leave it, but as a human being who trusts and follows God every step of the way in between. What I love about Psalms of Reorientation, like Psalm 23, is there's no false piety in them. No no false piety seeking to use God as some kind of cosmic rabbit's foot or magic amulet to ward off the darkness. These songs resonate with a contentment, a peace, a calm assurance that God walks beside us. These prayers emanate from a practical and living trust that looks to God to be the source of our living, to be the shepherd he desires to be in our lives. Beloved, we believe in the song, but do we believe in the shepherd? You see, reorientation affirms that life is good, but reorientation affirms It shows us life is good not because we are fulfilling our own desires, not because we are fulfilling our own agendas. Reorientation shows us life is good because God is good. Because the Lord is our shepherd, leading and guiding us to the right paths. Reorientation means dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. It means perceiving God as more than a refuge, more than a place we escape to when our world falls apart, but then when it's all back together, we bail. It means dwelling in the house of the Lord, a place not just to run to when our enemies threaten, it means living with our Father, making our home with God, going deeper, getting closer to Him as we remain in His presence. How can we tell? What's our pulse check to determine if the Lord is our shepherd, if the Lord is my shepherd? In this first thematic verse of this song, David gives us the measure when he goes on to sing, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Again, it's curious to me, this psalm is the favorite of so many when most of us approach life in a vastly different way than David sings about here. David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But for most of us, instead of not wanting, we want it when we want it, how we want it. And if we can't get what we want, we become frustrated. We actually have an expression um, that encapsulates this this, uh, posture. Uh, It's an expression most of us probably know. It's this, the grass is always greener on the other side. This saying illustrates that our tendency um, is towards discontentment as well as impatience towards whatever area of life we currently find ourselves. In our dissatisfaction and frustration, we believe that something better is over there. Most of us spend our entire lives, right, searching for some external thing to provide us fulfillment, some possession, some degree, some job, or some person. We we can live our whole lives believing if we can just secure that one thing, if we can just have that, our lives will be complete. We will be happy. But David isn't looking anymore. Do we notice that? David isn't looking anymore. David doesn't write, I go where I want and do what I please, I shall not want. 
What David sings here isn't about getting everything we want. It's not even a command to stop wanting anything anymore. It's a statement of what is. David proclaims he has everything he needs. The best translation of this verse, honestly, is because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. In the aftermath of where he's been, in the aftermath of what he's experienced, David realizes he has everything he needs. He lacks nothing. Psalms of reorientation describe a contentment from God's presence that frankly is MIA, missing in action in most people's lives. Because the thing is, in one sense, apart from God, apart from God, the grass is never greener on the other side. There's an important reason for this. While we can always change our environments, while we can always have our circumstances changed, we don't change. One of the greatest destroyers of, living, of a living and joyful faith is a lack of contentment with what we have. On our own, we always want more. There's never enough. Regardless of where we go, regardless of where we end up, it doesn't matter because we bring all our discontentment, everything that made our first pasture unpleasant, with us. Instead of being at rest, we overstretch ourselves to secure just a little bit more. Instead of a life of peace, we go into it and get weighed down by debt, all in the pursuit of living comfortably. All the while, we remain stuck in the valley, lost in the shadows, as anxiety, depression, and persecution lead us to believe other people have the good stuff, and we have so little. It's only a matter of time before our dissatisfaction, our perpetual looking for the greener grass, makes our new lawn resemble our first. Beloved, the problem is not a lack of God's provision for us. The problem is we're not prepared, we're not willing to trust the Lord that what we have is sufficient for our needs. And this brings us to our final insight about reorientation. Reorientation is about coming to understand the grass is greener only when we are on the Lord's side. The grass is greener only when we are on the Lord's side. The grass is greener where we focus our energy and our attention, right? Where my attention flows, my energy goes, and what I focus on gets bigger. For better or for worse, it's true. This is why David's first insight is so pivotal. The Lord is my shepherd. I can choose to focus on my perceived problems. I can choose to focus on my perceived lack. I can choose to focus on my perceived desires. I can choose to focus on all of these things and remain miserable. I can choose to put my focus on another person and become too responsible for them. Or I can choose to put my focus on another person and blame them. Either path will lead me astray. Or I can take my cue from David and put my focus on the Lord and follow him as he makes me lie down in green pastures, as he leads me beside still waters. If we keep our focus on the Lord, we don't have to keep looking and moving from place to place in order to be satisfied. God will lead us to the greener pastures. We don't have to run around all the time like chickens with our heads cut off in order to beat the heat and keep ourselves alive. David says our shepherd will guide us to where the fruitful trees are to be found, the places where we can lie down and rest. 
He will lead us beside the still waters, the wells and the springs where we can drink without being rushed. Rushed. Honestly, in this song, the two words beyond the first verse that stand out are still waters because I think still waters describes better than anything else what is lacking in most of our spiritual lives. Stillness. Quietness. Centeredness. In the midst of all the frantic activity, the shepherd brings his sheep to a still place, a place that is quiet, a place they don't have to be rushed but only if they're willing to be led there, only if they're willing to follow. Beloved, reorientation is about realizing that God's fullness and satisfaction are conditional. The grass is only greener on his side, the Lord's side, if we leave the place that God has for us. If we do not follow our shepherd, we cannot experience the satisfaction of God's presence or the contentment of his provision. Make no mistake, our good shepherd will search out and try to bring us back into the fold. That's the kind of God we worship. But how can we expect to see the shining light of his face with our backs turned to him? On the other hand, if we focus on the Lord, if we follow our shepherd, the promise that awaits us, not later, now, as David describes it, The promise that awaits us is the restoration of our souls. My brothers and sisters in Christ, how's your soul? How's your soul? How's your soul? Is, it, is your soul being restored day by day, week by week, month by month? Is it be your soul being restored by the miracle of faith and the application of our Father's trustworthiness? How's your soul? Or is this world and all its cares and worries eating your soul away slowly, piece by piece? Someone has said that the busyness, the frantic pace we keep, the rushed way we live our lives, we tell ourselves that we're just keeping busy, but the truth is we're running around trying desperately to save our souls. You don't need to save your soul. Your soul has already been saved. You don't need to do anything to restore your soul other than to keep your eyes Focus your attention. Devote your life to your shepherd and mine. I started this out and I phrased the Psalms as being like a summer playlist. I gotta ask this. How's your, how's your summer playlist sounding? Are we incorporating the Psalms into the soundtrack of our lives? We put on this introduction a proposed reading schedule to get through all 150 psalms by the end of this sermon series. It's an exercise. It's a, it's a tool. Are you making use of this tool? Have you read any of the psalms besides what's being preached on Sunday morning? Again, I'm not saying this to guilt and shame you at all because there's other ways to go out. My point is, are, are, this gets back to that Kairos moment idea. Are we doing anything about what God reveals to us through songs like these? Because we can, we can sit here and all agree, yeah, you know, yep, I got to put my focus back on God. Yep, I got to spend some time in God's presence. Yep. 
walk out of church. <clears throat> yep, I got to do it. And we can just get right into our car, go to lunch, get on with our day, and nothing changes. Reorientation doesn't happen unless there's change. And that change is sometimes change we initiate. That change is sometimes change that comes upon us. Sometimes our whole world gets turned upside down. And again, let me emphasize this to you. It's the saddest thing I've ever experienced. Many of us can have our whole world turned upside down. And in that moment, all of a sudden, we can discover God as if it's for the first time. We suddenly can experience Jesus in a fresh new way. But nothing is more tragic to me than people who have that experience in that season of disorientation. And then when they get through the other side, thanks, Jesus. See you when I'm dead. Or when I get into another problem. Or when I have another problem. Let me get back to that busy, frantic, rushed pace I got. I got this list, and man, I got to check those things off. I got things to do and places to be. I got no time to rest. Got to just go, go, go. We, how's your soul? Because here's the one thing I've learned in my own pilgrimage in this journey of faith. And this is, besides my daughter's inspiration when praying about it, where she was right. Something I've learned through the years is learning to pray, and many of us struggle with prayer, and if you've ever come and talked to me about struggling with prayer amongst other tools, one of the most basic things I point you to is the Psalms. Because here's the thing, learning to pray, and sometimes when needed to sing these Psalms, this may be the simplest yet most significant step we can take toward growth in our relationship as disciples of Christ. Learning to pray and sometimes sing these 150 psalms can be the simplest and yet most significant step we can take in growing in our relationship as disciples of Christ. And I don't just mean once a day saying a psalm out loud, check it off the list. I mean immersing yourself. When you read it, read it with the context of your life in view. Sing it from what you are going through in your life. Bring and acknowledge God's presence in it and you will grow in your relationship with this God and you will grow as a disciple of Christ. After all, let me tell you why this is so. This was the music Jesus listened to. This was the music Jesus listened to. These were the prayers Jesus prayed. These were the prayers that Jesus ultimately came to fulfill. How's your soul? Beloved, do we realize right now not later, right now. We have everything we need to be fulfilled because we have the Lord as our shepherd, because we have Christ. Jesus identified himself with the Lord of this psalm in the Gospel of John when he said, I am the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice and they listen to me. Jesus restores our souls by taking all our worries, by taking all our regrets, by taking all our waywardness, by taking all our foolishness, by taking all our corruption, by taking all of it to the cross. Jesus says the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Beloved, because Jesus is our shepherd, your shepherd, my shepherd, we lack nothing. In the crucifixion and resurrection, we witness the fullness of God's love, the promise of the complete restoration of our souls, of this world, of turning this sin-infested race of people into a saved people. 
Because the good shepherd lays down his life for us, for his sheep, we can trust God will give us everything we need for the eternal well-being of our souls, our lives. And when I say this, when David sings of it, reorientation understands that this means more than forgiveness. It means more than rest. It means more than food. It means more than protection or guidance. It means more even than eternal life. You see, in our reorientation, we get to see a table prepared before us that we can come to again and again that's centered by a cup that's not just full, but overflows. In our reorientation, we perceive the fullness of the Spirit's presence, the surety of God's goodness and mercy following us each and every step of the way. In our reorientation, all our pursuits, all our plans give way in anticipation of the one lone but sacred and desired promise we all have to dwell in the house of the Lord, the presence of our God forever. Will you pray with me? Thank you that you are the good shepherd who lays down his life for all of us. Lord, Reorientation is a beautiful thing, but it is not an easy thing. It's easy for us to get stuck. It's easy for us to go off on our own. It's easy for us to keep our head down, to get so overwhelmed by the climb, being out of breath, the bugs, the black spots that we miss, seeing your presence all the way. The view that you're giving us not just later, but now. God, help us to experience you not just as the God, but as our God. Help us to follow you as our shepherd. And Lord, teach us, remind us, guide us in experiencing the truth that we lack nothing, that with you, with Christ, we have everything we need. We ask this in his precious name and all God's people said, amen.